At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our series, Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World, we're coming face-to-face with the division that seems to define the culture of our nation, our communities, and even our churches. Join us as we turn to 1 Corinthians to discover the unifying power of a people who follow Christ. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians. I'm excited today uh, because we are beginning this new series, and over the next five weeks, we're actually going to stay in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we're not going to move on, um, but we're going to be just in chapter 1, and today we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians. And I'm really excited about the opportunity to preach Um, this letter that Paul writes to the believers in Corinth because I believe that this series is timed up and matches up with the cultural difficulties that I think that we are facing today as the church. You know, churches always face cultural challenges where the church is supposed to be separate from the culture, but also the church is supposed to exist inside of culture. And how do we do that? And I think Paul does a great job helping encourage the church at Corinth of how to do this. And so this series that we've entitled Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World. Over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at how do we live in a world that's fully divided. Right, we don't have to look very far to see that the world we live in is deeply divided. Right, you could, you could say a couple words at your workplace and cause a riot in just a few moments. Right? If you were to say the wrong thing, right? if you were to, to talk about politics or you were to talk about gender or if you were to talk about economics or you are to talk about the environment or if you are to talk about immigration or public health, all of those things are like hot button topics that if you like engage in the wrong conversation with the wrong person or a person that doesn't agree with you, it can instantly become toxic. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we live in a deeply divided world. And so we are experiencing this deep divide. And I want us to understand that God's word gives us encouragement of how to engage. Right? Sometimes we in the church, when we, we, we want to avoid all kinds of controversy. And so what do we do is we seek isolation. We seek, I'm just not going to get engaged. I'm just not going to get involved in the conversation. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to seek to bring peace. When in reality, sometimes God calls us to take the high road and to not engage. But sometimes God does call us to engage. And how can we engage in a way that's going to lead people to the Lord and not lead people away from the Lord? And I, I hope that's some of the things that we take a look at as we walk through this series together. And you know, for a believer, it shouldn't surprise us that we see the world so divided, right? Outside the walls of the church, it shouldn't shock us because we know that when sin entered into the world, this perfect creation that God created where man was in perfect fellowship with one another and man was in perfect fellowship with God, when sin entered into the world, that broke everything. And now distance from God is a reality and divisions among one another are our common experience. So it shouldn't shock us that the world can't agree. But what should shock us and what we should be very quick to be mindful of is the divisions out there creeping into here. Are you following me? 
The world should not shock us that it's divided, but the church should not be divided. We are called under one name, under the blood of Christ, and that should not divide us. It should collect us and bring us together. So when the church is divided against itself, it loses the power. And if you've been a part of our church for, or you've been in the world, you know that over the past several years, it seems like the world is seeking to divide us even more. We've walked through uh, together, we've walked through a season where even people have disagreed. I've, I've told you this before, that there was a season where I'd go to have a meeting with someone in the morning and they would tell me about how they feel this way and then I'd go to a lunch meeting and the person would tell me the exact same opposite, all both of them with good hearts wanting to honor the Lord being divided. And I'm sure like if you even look around this room right now, you can see some faces of some people that you're like, I disagree with that person. I don't like this person. I don't get along with this person. Like if we're really honest with ourselves, right? And my prayer is that over the course of this series that we begin to really tackle some of that because God's heart for us as his church is to be united. And here's the crazy thing is that if left alone, no one ever drifts towards unity. Have you ever thought about that? If left unchecked, even in your marriage, in your relationships, everything, if you leave that unchecked, you're not going to drift towards unity. What you're going to do is you're going to drift towards disunity. Why? Because when the communication's there, not there, when the relationship's not there, and there's division, what happens is one or both parties begins to insert a narrative about the other person. Are you following me? And that doesn't bring us together. We begin in our minds because we're really good at keeping relationships in our minds and not from our mouths to the other person's ear. And we begin to create this thing in our mind and, and make the other person the villain. Oh, they don't agree with me, so they've, they're not a Christian. Right? When we begin to do that in our mind, it causes more disunity than unity. And so my prayer is, for our church and for our campus, that through this series, that we would allow the Holy Spirit and God's word itself to correct. Correct some of our attitudes, maybe correct some of our behaviors. But in all, that's what we come to every Sunday anyways. We want to come to the word of God so that we can see how, who he calls us to be so that we can, in his power, bring about change. So the church at Corinth, is, I'll give you a little bit of background, is that the church at Corinth was actually founded by Paul. And so Paul, during one of his missionary journeys, shows up into this very influential town. And while he's there, he begins sharing the gospel and people come to faith and he establishes the church there in Corinth. And he was there for about 18 months or so. And then he leaves. And after he's established the church, the church begins to grow and begins to flourish. But the church finds itself in a very, very interesting cultural situation. You see, Corinth, the city, is located in this south central part of Greece. It was a thriving and prosperous city that attracted all kinds of people. It attracted business people, people that were entrepreneurs. It attracted a whole lot of people. And what was important about it is that it kind of was the crossroads between like Rome and Italy and Asia. 
And so it became a very, very important place for goods to be transported through. And uh, people went to Corinth to live out the Corinth dream. Right? You could be who you wanted to be if you moved to Corinth. If you had a little bit of hard work and had a little bit of drive, you could be somebody. And so Corinth has this um, idea where people were highly educated, people were highly motivated, and people were also taking advantage of other people. It's, it's said that almost two-thirds to, to, uh, or more of the population of Corinth were slaves, some because they got into trouble and needed to, a way out, and some by forced service. And so we see that Corinth is this, this place that is so diverse, where there's a lot of different types of people, even inside the church. There were Jews, and there were Gentiles, and there were people of all different backgrounds living together in the church. And it could be quite possible that inside of the church at Corinth, as people are, are pursuing personal gains and, and trying to make their way and make a name for themselves and become rich, it's possible that hyper-individualism entered into the culture, where people no longer thought about what's, what's best for the good of the community, but what's best for me. Turning from eyes that say, hey, together we can get through this to I'm going to use you to benefit and better myself. And so this hyper-individualism that comes into, comes into play only seeks to benefit of itself, seeks personal good over public good, where you don't care about the plights of others, but you only care about your own personal pursuits. And individualism by its nature is actually, it's a move away from community into worrying about myself to complete autonomy. And we know that autonomy is anti-gospel as it comes, right? To, to live unto yourself, for yourself, by yourself, to be your own person, to be a self-made person is anti-gospel, and so we see what's taking in Corinth is these believers that had taken on this new identity as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, that have submitted to the lordship of Christ, are now finding themselves battling their culture in the way that they have been brought up, in the way that they've been raised, and now struggling with which identity they're going to lead with. Are they going to lead with their Corinthian identity, or are they going to lead with their Christian identity? And so Paul is helping them navigate this, and that's what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. And today, as we look at this passage, one of the things that we're going to see is that we are called together in Christ. In Christ, we're called together. It's this moving away in our culture from hyper-individualism. Now, this is something that's so prevalent even in our world today. I was looking through and seeing how it kind of has developed in our culture over time. And, and I was uh, looking at the way in which they recruited armed forces for World War II. If you go back and you look at like the propaganda and you look at the way that they were looking to enlist, these are some of the things that they said. Is that they, they called upon Americans as their duty to country to fulfill their community obligation. Do, do it for America. Be a part of, of saving what is here. Now, that's World War II, and now it has kind of changed. If you listen to the armed forces ads today, it's kind of like, what can the army do for me? Right? Be all that I can be. 
So even in their recruiting, they've moved away from this community mentality to the individual mentality. This even goes into, I was reading about a sociologist that was taking a look at how um, we use the term our kids. Back in the 1950s, it was more of an understanding of a community hour. So if you were to talk about, if you had two parents talking about our kids, they were talking about the collective kids, the kids that were part of the group. And so inside of a church, what it would be is like, well, what about our kids in the kids' ministry? Well, parents would see a need and they'd say, instead of having someone else fix it, they would feel personally responsible for engaging and making it a better place. Now, when we talk about our kids, it's no longer the community hour. It's our personal kids. And when we come to places like the church with our kids, we look at how the church is going to do the work for our kids. And if the church isn't doing what we think the church should be doing for our kids, we leave and we go to another place where they're doing things for our kids. Does that make sense? You see the difference? It's so subtle and it's so come into our culture that it comes into, even into the church. And I think the pandemic has done a great disservice to the church, but it's also fueled the flames of individualism, right? How many of you were out hoarding toilet paper? (laughs) Why? Because you needed it. Right? You didn't care if your neighbor had it or didn't have it. You're like, I need toilet paper. <laughs> so we can see, we, we, we know this. And I, and I feel like even in our world today that this is just something that is growing so loud. And it's a voice that many, many well-meaning believers are allowing to have the main voice into their lives. Individualism will kill the church. Why? Because the church is not about the individual. The church is about the collective. Right? The church, when we talk about the church, the church is not a building. The church is the people. It's you and it's me together living in community. And so the church is called to be together in Christ. I want us to look three ways in which um, Paul gives us the tools that God has set apart for us so that we can live in unity in this thing called the church. The first is that God has called us to holiness. Look at me in verse one, in chapter one. Paul says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. Now, first, I don't want us to miss this. This is Paul's typical letter, right? He's writing in the letter form, and so he's identifying who he is, and then he's writing to who he, he identifies who he's writing to. And sometimes it's easy for us to kind of gloss over that and just say, okay, to, from, okay, let's move on. But I think it's important for us to parse out a couple things, first of all, right? There are times in which Paul doesn't have to assert his apostle calling, right? His position as as an apostle. But I think it's very important that Paul does call out his apostle position, 
Remember, as a, a, an apostle, he was given specific authority by God himself to help establish the church and set the stage for the church based on the word of God and on the gospel. So Paul had a very special calling. His calling is different than your calling and, and my calling in this regard. He was called to be an apostle. Now, why is that important? Because if you're trying to engage a deeply individualistic society, what that individual is going to do is try to cast off any type of submission to any authority over themselves. right? Because you're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do if you're in a deeply individualistic society. And so what Paul is saying is the way that we cure that is we need to understand that there is authority over us. And the authority is not man-made, and specifically in this case, this is a God authority established by himself. And so this is why Paul says that he is called by the will of God, not by his own will, not by his own desire, but he's called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So he's coming as a messenger from Jesus himself. So this is important. It's important for us, too, to be reminded that we are called to submit to the authority of Christ. And then Paul goes on and identifies Sosthenes. Sosthenes is, is someone um, that the church at Corinth knew. Perhaps Paul is, is dictating this letter, and Sosthenes is writing it down. That's why he gives him credit. But the people at Corinth knew who Sosthenes was, and so just by him being added to this letter gives more credence to the, or the validity of the letter itself. But then we see he spends the rest of the time focusing on to whom he's writing to. I think it's interesting that he says he's writing to the church of God. I don't miss that. It's not an individual letter. He's not writing to fathers. He's not writing to brothers. He's not writing to this person or to the angel of the church. He's writing specifically to the church of God. So in essence, there's a, a communal emphasis to Paul's writing. It's not writing to someone so they can take this letter and go into their quiet space and have quiet time between them and the Lord and Paul's letter. No, this is a letter that is to the collective community of Christ's followers. So it's to God's people that are God's church that are in Corinth. And as we see, and we'll see as we move on to this letter, is this, this divisions were so deep in Corinth. The visions ran deep and they ran wide and now Paul is reaching out to the church and he's encouraging them and he's telling them which identity is going to lead the day. Are you going to go the way and allowing your Corinth identity to lead the day or are you going to submit to your Christian identity? And that's kind of the question he's posing before them. And then he goes in and he talks about the fact that what are we then called to? We're not called to individualism, but we're called to this community where we exist for the benefit of each other, right? I'm here for your benefit. You're here for my benefit. Together, we move together. You're not just here to get what you can get to be spiritually recharged to go live your individualistic life. But you're called to be a part of here so that your gifts, talents, and abilities can be a blessing to the church and to be a blessing to our community as well. 
You see, this idea of individualism has shown itself in the American church because we, we want to highlight, and this is, there's truth to this, but there's a way in which we can take it to its extreme, right? God does call us to a personal relationship, right? Right, God, God, the God of the universe wants to have a personal relationship with you through the person of Christ, right? That's true. But if we take that to an extreme, which I see many, many people doing, is they say, well, it's all personal. There's no community. It's me and Jesus. I don't need the church because the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. The church has nothing but pain for me, and so I'm just, I'm going to keep it to myself. And so I'm going to have my personal quiet time. I'm going to have my personal worship time. Everything's going to be personal. Well, you're missing out. Right? That at the heart is an individualistic heart that doesn't see the beauty of community and the cause that Christ gave us. Let me show you in a real world example how crazy that is. All right. Now imagine that I was a personal Detroit Lions fan. I'm, it's personal, right? Like I deeply love the Lions and every year I get deeply, deeply disappointed, but it's personal. So on Sunday, you know what I do? I, I get my TV and I go to the quiet place in my house and I'm watching the game and I'm cheering. I got my lion's garb on. I'm eating like lion's uh, cupcakes and all that, but I'm doing it all by myself. No one else knows, right? You, you never see me wearing Detroit Lions stuff because it's personal. Isn't that crazy? No, there's beauty and there's benefit about being a Detroit Lions fan that you can have pride in the fact that we lose all the time. Right? Misery loves company. So like I can come in here and I can see a guy with a Detroit Lions hat on. I'm like, yeah, bro, hoping for a great season this year. Can you believe how we did in the offseason? We can talk shop. And there's like a community to that, right? That's like the church. That's why we're here. But instead of losing, we win. Always win. Right? So with that, you don't have a personal fandom. You share that you're, what you care about with the world. The same is true with our Christian faith. Right? We're not called to live in isolation. Because that's, a, that's exactly when you get picked off. Right? One of the things that we did while we were in Africa is we had a chance to go on a safari. And we were listening to the safari guide, and he was just telling us all about these things and wildebeest traveling in herds and all these other things traveling in herds. And you know what he says, is, is, as we got a chance to see some lions too, one of the things he says is, you know who the lions are looking for? They're not looking for the ones that are in the herd. The lions are looking for the ones that are lagging behind or have gotten away from the herd. Hmm. I guess see a spiritual connection there. Right, we need each other. We need each other. But the beauty of all of this is though God has given us each other, he's also given us a great gift. He says, this is verse two, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who are in every place. What has he given us? He's given us the beauty of sanctification realizing that when we come to Christ, there's a lot of work God has to do in our life, right? None of us are perfect. 
Some of us are a little bit higher on the total pole than others, but we all came in through the same way, uh, bearing our souls at the foot of the cross. And when we enter in, then God begins this work of sanctification, where day by day, he works in us so that we become less and less like our old selves and more and more like him. So he calls us to holiness. And so there's a way in which we're supposed to be growing to be more like Jesus. And as we're growing to be more like Jesus, guess what's going to happen? If we see each other growing to be more like Jesus, I'm going to look over and I'm going to see you growing to be more like Jesus, see you looking growing to be more like Jesus, and guess what? Together we're going to grow to be more like Jesus. This is the beauty that the world can't provide. This is what's different than being a Detroit Lions fan. Right? We have power towards something, and it's towards our benefit, and it's holiness. So we're called to live in community. We're called to holiness. And what this means is that, that God sets us apart from the world. Right? We're to be distinct from the world. I remember my grandparents had the white room in their house. Right? It was the, the, like the living room. Like you had the family room where you hung out, but then you had the living room where you didn't really actually live in it. Right, because everything was pristine, everything was perfect, and we would only go to the living room on special occasions. And so you knew when you walked in that house, you didn't walk into the living room. If you walked into the living room uninvited and you put like footmarks on the white carpet, Katie barred the door, right? Like you'd get in deep trouble because you violated the living room. Right, And so we do this in our own lives too. We set things apart as sacred. We set them apart as holy that we only want to use for special occasions. And I want you to understand, church, that's what God has done to you and me. He's looked at the world, the landscape of creation, and he says, my church, my children, those whom I love, those whom I gave my life for, I'm calling them out and setting them apart for holiness. Church, we are a special people. We are God's beloved. We are his children. And he has set us apart not to be in the, of the world, but to be holy in the world, to look different. So as a holy vessel of God, there is distinction in our hearts. We don't value the same things the world values. We don't see money the same way that the world sees money. We don't see politics the same way that the world sees politics. We don't see gender the same way the world sees gender. God has informed all of that in his word of how we should think and how we should live and how we should care. We don't view the way the world the same way. So as brothers and sisters in Christ who are sanctified, it's not our American values that rule the day. It's not our conservative values that rule the day. It's not any other type of worldly principle that rules the day, but it is our devotion to Christ and to his word that is our primary authority that we say, Lord, my heart's desire is to honor you. Not anything else, not anyone else. And so we're called together to this holiness. Second, we see that we're called to unity. Look at the second part of verse two. He says, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. 
So again, we see that Paul is continuing on, not trying to call out a, a specific person. He's addressing the community. He's addressing the church. He's addressing the crowd or the ones uh, that are a part of the church. So he's talking about a unified group to, to all of those in every place who call on the name of the Lord. Do you call on the name of the Lord? And Paul's writing to you. It's to all of us who, who have called on the name of the Lord in every place. We're called to unity. We're not called to divisions, but we're called to each other. This was so real in my life two Sundays ago when on, on Saturday uh, they asked me to, to go to Rwanda, which was a, a village that was about an hour and a half from the, way, from the place where we were. And there was a pastor there, Pastor Willie, who'd been pastoring that church for eight years. And whenever there have been missionaries that would come to town, it's like Pastor Willie's church always got overlooked. And so because we, we took four pastors with us, we were all able to go to different uh, villages and preach. And I got a chance to go to Rwanda and be with Pastor Willie. And I'll tell you, I, I've been and I've worshipped um, in other places internationally in the past. But it, if you just, like... The African culture, when they talk about worship, there's something special about it. It, it feels like, for one thing, uh, here, you know, if we go over an hour and 20 minutes, people are like, I gotta get out of here. There, if you, if you don't go at least two to two and a half hours, people are disappointed, right? If, if you're there all day, people rejoice. They're like, yeah, we got to spend the, the day together in church. Well, anyways, so we go... And we're actually late uh, because we had to drive so far. We, we got there about 40 minutes late. They had been worshiping for 40 minutes by the time we showed up. And I meet Pastor Willie, and he is just so full of life, and he's just so appreciative. He's like, I'm so thankful that you're here. I can't wait to hear what God's laid on your heart. And there was almost as though like this immediate kinship between the two of us. Like I, I could sense, like I could feel Pastor Willie's love for his people. Right, especially as we sat there, he, he pulled us up, uh, uh, me and Karis and, Eliza, or Karis and Rayleigh together, the, the three of us, and then uh, one of the guys, another missionary that went with us, they gave us special chairs in front of the church. So as they're worshiping, they're watching us, and I don't know what they're saying, but they're worshiping to the Lord, and I'm trying to worship to the Lord too as well, and I'm like, this is kind of awkward, this is kind of weird, but to hear the hearts of my brothers and sisters lifting their voices to the same God that I love, like there was a special connection there, right? And then to, to be able to preach and have Pastor Willie like communicate and translate uh, the words that, that God had laid on my heart was just so special. Like to think about the fact that this guy, like is, I've never met the guy before, but now we're talking and our hearts are like connecting together as together we're communicating God's word to his people. Like it was a special moment for me. And just like I would do if we had a special guest, after service, guess what they did? They took us to lunch. Not at a restaurant, but they knew that we were coming, so they had prepared a special meal. So in Pastor Willie's office, I'm sitting there with, with two of my daughters, and a lady comes in who is just the sweetest lady that I've met in a long time. And she comes with this warm vase of water, 
And I'm like, what are we doing? He's like, this is where we wash our hands. And so I'm like, okay. So she's pouring water over our hands and we're, we're washing our hands and then he goes into the next person and goes into the next person. And just the love and the care and like the pride that she had that we had come to her church and that she had the benefit of being able to be a part of washing our hands was overwhelming for her. And then we began to eat together after we prayed, of course. And we ate chicken and we ate pop and we ate beans and we ate it with our hands. And it was a beautiful moment of just being able to see the body of Christ in a different way. You see, this is the beauty of being a part of the church is that you have brothers and sisters all over the world and many of them you have never met, but someday we will. Someday we will be united. Someday we will be able to see the beauty of the church glorifying and worshiping God for all eternity. We have that to look forward to, but now we have each other to experience that together now. So we're called to unity. We're called to togetherness, not divided, but together. And lastly, we're called to be gracious peacemakers or we're called to gracious peacemaking. Look with me in verse three. Paul gives this blessing to the church. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see these final words of the salutation, the part of the letter, is he's wishing and speaking blessing over the church. He's wishing, wishing for them to experience God's grace and his peace, which are gifts that come down from the Father, which in essence are the keys to the gospel. Right? That, that's why we exist. It's because of God's grace right, that we didn't deserve. God graciously gave us his son as the offering, as the sacrifice for our sins so that we may have peace with God. Right? That's, the, that's the crux of the gospel message. Right? In order for us to have peace with God, grace must come first and grace comes from God. For God who loved the world gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God's Grace comes and it shows up and brings peace. And in essence, that is the absolute deep need of every human being. The deep need of our soul that as we're born, we have this aching hole. And that hole is filled by the grace of God and the peace of God. And so that's, that's what Paul's writing. He's, he's saying that as the church, like my prayer is that you would grow in the grace and peace of God. Why? Because here's the key. When we come to drink deep from the grace and peace of the Lord, like when we take that in and we realize that God loves us and that God has brought us peace and God wants us to be unified and God wants us to be together, and as we drink that in, when we engage others, guess what comes out of our mouths? We become distributors of that grace and that peace, right? We, can, we enter into a conversation not seeing a person as an adversary, but we see that person as a brother, and we're gonna speak life into our brother that will seek to bring them close instead of push them away. But you can't do that unless you're drinking deeply from the grace and peace of God. Right? If, you, if you've divorced yourself from grace and peace from God, 
and you go to engage with your brother in Christ, you have nothing for them. All that's gonna come out is your own thoughts and your own ideas and your own desires and you're gonna wanna fight for your own rights and you're gonna wanna be right and you're gonna tell them, wanna tell that person how wrong they are. But until you're spending time drinking deeply from the grace and peace from God, when we drink deeply of that and we engage in conversation, that's what comes out. Words of grace, opportunities of peace to bring us together. I love the fact that God not only gives us the teaching, but he gives us the resources. He's given us all that we need to live in unity. Yeah, that's a high calling, but he's given us the fact that we're unified under the blood of Christ, right? So we have that, and then we also have the gifts of his grace and his peace. He's given us this beauty and the ability to be unified if we would yet walk in it. You see, walking the way of the world is easy. It's easy to, to grieve all the divisions in the world. It's easy for us to come into this place with an individual mindset and be frustrated about the person that's singing off key behind us or the person that gets our parking spot in the parking lot. Like it's so easy to come in, to in as, and see the church through individual eyes. But my prayer is, is that if that's where you're at today, like you would just lay that down at the foot of the cross and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for thinking the world revolves around me. God, forgive me for thinking always only about my own needs and my own desires and my own thoughts. But rather, Lord, restore to me a deeper understanding of what you're doing. Give me a deeper understanding of, of the church and this community that you've called us into together. Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the grace and peace of the Lord. You've been living your life apart from that your whole life. My encouragement to you today is to come to Jesus, confess your sins, believe in him and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. And then the peace of God will be extended to you because you will understand the grace of God. And then you can begin on this journey. Or maybe today what God is calling you to do is be mindful of your words. Maybe your words haven't been flavored with grace and peace. Maybe your words have been full of sarcasm. Maybe your words have been full of critique. Maybe your words have been full of divisive words. And the reason that it is, is because you've stopped drinking deeply from the word of God. Maybe that's your response today. Instead of going on Facebook and trying to find, or social media, trying to find people that agree with your opinion, like spend more time on the word of God. So you'll have something to say when you engage people that you disagree with. Right, again, I've said this before, people in the world today don't need to know what you think. Everyone says that, right? Everyone has an opinion about everything. But what people deeply need is to know what Jesus has already said and what he has already done. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you, God, that you are a God that loves us so deeply. And Father, you are aware of the fractured culture that we live in. Father, we, you know how our anxieties may be on the rise because of division. You know how we may feel like we wanna run away from division and, and hide.
Father, you know. But yet, Father, we also see in your word today that you call us to be one, that you have given us the gift of the church as our community, as a place to be known, as a place to to grow, and as a place to be encouraged. So, Father, I pray today that with, with this time that we have to sing this last song together, that your spirit would continue to work and that you would move us today to respond however you desire for us to respond. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.